message I call God, Grace, and, and Giggles. You'll see why I'm Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Our text this morning records another one of those encounters that Abram had with the Lord. And we've gone over the meaning of the word theophany. That's a word we have coined uh, to describe an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, It was in the city of Jerusalem uh, long ago when Jesus rode uh, triumphantly uh, into the city with the shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. Yet that same Jesus has said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. People mocked him, scoffed at him. How how could Abraham have seen you? Well, he did. In fact, he met with him several times. Anytime that you find God assuming then a physical form, that's the work of God the Son in that theology of the Trinity. And so we have here that tremendous encounter Uh, We saw that uh, one last week in Genesis chapter 17. After 13 long years, uh, the Lord had appeared to him. Now it's just a a couple of months that have passed. uh, Three, exactly. And uh, and now the Lord has come again. This is the first time that God really describes for us what was happening when Abram uh, met with him. And he says it in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Uh, Now, since most of you guys, or a lot of you, have been on spring break, let me just point out, Abraham was not on a camping trip, okay? Uh, They lived in a tent. And uh, so what this tells us is it was lunchtime, and he was in the shade, the plains of Mamre during this time of the year. Uh, the temperature, like uh, you'd find in Afghanistan other places, sometimes would get up in the heat of the day around 120 degrees. So being in the shade was very important. That's exactly where Abraham was. Uh, he wasn't in a temple. Uh, he wasn't doing a prayer vigil. He wasn't going through a time of fasting. He was going about his business doing life as he always did. And suddenly the Lord, the Almighty God, was there by him. Uh, After 13 years, what if the Lord dropped by your house for a visit? Now, Abraham understood that God was passing through. And he says that in verse 5, And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. You see, Abraham understood that he hadn't just come to see him. He was on a journey somewhere else. And there was something else in mind. And we'll find out what that something else was as we go on through the message. Uh, But Abraham, as both a prophet and a patriarch, understood uh, that he was visiting with the Lord and his angels and uh, that he was 
uh, doing something, although it wasn't completely clear to him perhaps at that moment what it was. It's an amazing description of the Lord. Uh, when Abraham was able to sit down and enjoy a meal with God, Abraham, verse 6, hurried into the tent to Sarah and said quickly, Make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. What a meal. Fresh, hot bread right out of the oven, slathered with butter. <laughs> Milk and good old grain-fed, organic, fresh-killed, young, tender beef. Any vegans in the crowd, I apologize. Yes, God does eat meat. It's right here in the passage. Uh, have you ever brought somebody home and surprised your wife? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> uh, but Abraham did, and I have to confess, there's been a time or two when I've done that, and I can promise you when I brought home a guest uh, unprepared, we gave him our very best. I can tell you right now what the menu was. It was fried deer steak and uh, purple whole peas. We always had some of that. And uh, we'd always find a way to make that for somebody, uh, our very best meal uh, that we had. And uh, you say, well, I don't like deer meat. I, you hadn't eaten it the way we cook it. That's all I can say. <clears throat> um, we like it. Somewhere along the line, though, I, I, I realized that was not a good thing. But in this case... We just see the urgency of the moment all over Abraham and something then that he shared then with others. The Bible tells us immediately that Abraham saw them and he went running out to meet them. What a contrast that is with Eden where Adam and Eve were running from God and hiding from God. And here's Abraham and he sees them and goes running out to meet them and falls down on his face and worships him. We have such a, a, a conversation these days about whether it's right to worship standing up or sitting down. Do you put your hands up? Do you put them down? Do you put them in your pocket? Hold them behind your back? What do you do when you worship? Well, let me tell you something. On your knees and on your face is always appropriate. We don't see much of that. But that's what Abraham did. He ran out to meet them and he bowed down and before them and worshiped them. Then he runs back and he hurries and we see it again and again. As he hurried, verse 6, into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd and he took a tender and good calf and gave it to a young man. And he hastened to prepare it. The urgency of what's happening is all over both Abraham and the people around them. Now we get excited about a lot of things these days. Abraham was excited about meeting with the Lord. And he spread that excitement then on to his family. Now, we all know what it's like sometimes to get up on Sunday morning and have to hurry and to tell everybody, hurry up, hurry up, man, we're going to be late, where's the this, that, and the other, and I understand that. But listen, don't let our excitement get lost in the hurrying because in this passage, that's what we see. Abraham is excited. The Lord is here. Quick, let's get something ready for them. It's lunchtime. 
And oh, they made a, a fabulous meal and they enjoyed then that time together. Now, though we don't find the word grace in this chapter. In fact, the word grace is only found one time in the book of Genesis, and that's in Genesis chapter 6, where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But really, the concept of grace, the demonstration of grace, is all over this chapter. Abraham has recognized that the Lord is here, and he's not alone. He's got his angels with him. He knows they're on a mission, though he doesn't know what it is. He calls them unto himself. He runs out to meet them. He brings them into his house. They hurriedly prepare a sumptuous meal. And then he moves along with them as they go. But along the way, God has a description, a depiction of grace with Sarah first. She's the first item on the agenda that day. Then Abraham. And then the world at large. So let's see, first of all, what God had to show in his grace with Sarah. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also, first item of business was Sarah. Now he had told them just a few months before that a year from now Sarah is going to give birth. And so what we're seeing here in this passage is that it's about time. For, for Sarah to conceive a child, 86 years old, her husband 99, and God says, surely, surely. And that's, that's no small thing when God says, surely. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us how important that is in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely, surely. Now, we understand this morning that God doesn't need to, to swear in order for His promise to be in effect. Uh, God has never told a lie. He's never backed out on a promise. And <laughs> let me tell you something else. He's never going to. When He, though, makes a promise and then He confirms it by an oath, that's not for His benefit. That's for our benefit. He wants us to know that this isn't just a promise, but this is a very, very strong, very important promise that he has made, surely, he says, surely, surely I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. You see, it's about time for Sarah, though she is past the age of childbearing, though it has ceased to be with her, as the Bible says, after the way of, men, of women, it's time for her to conceive a child. And she did. Now Sarah laughed about that within herself. Now it wasn't an LOL kind of a moment. It was a giggling kind of moment. She was laughing within herself. <laughs> and she was laughing at the very idea. You know, not only was she past the age of childbearing or conceiving a child, it was impossible. It wasn't difficult. It was impossible. 
But also now apparently uh, Abram was also past that time as well. There was just no possible way that she was going to be able to conceive a child. She was giggling in her heart. But God heard what was in her heart very loudly. Let me tell you something. The New Testament declares for us that the Holy Spirit knows what's in our heart and He intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit of God does. And He intercedes for us. He hears our heart language very, very loudly. And, and we understand that in kind of a normal way. I mean, there's times when I'll be looking at Nancy and Nancy will say, now, don't you talk to me that way. I didn't say a word. We don't have to say any. Sometimes we communicate very plainly, but that's not what's going on between Sarah and the Lord because Sarah was back in the tent. He's already asked them where she was. He, they didn't have any sight contact. But God heard what was going on in her heart very clearly. And so he said to Abraham, verse 13, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I'm old? Or shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? And God then says, verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And really she wasn't lying, because she didn't laugh out loud, but she was laughing in her heart. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Uh, you don't have to say it in order to say it. And she did. What a great passage, though. One quoted in Jeremiah 32. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Put your mountain this morning up ahead of the Lord God Almighty and see how long he hesitates at your mountain. See how long it holds him back. Is there anything too hard for me? And so it was spelled out very clearly why it was. Abram and Sarah, all these years of waiting, all these years of being assured that God was going to make of Abraham a great nation, all of these promises, and yet it was wait, 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 wait. Listen, God did not wait until it was just difficult for them. God waited until it was impossible for them to produce a child on their own. And he spells that out for us very plainly. Now that there's no possible way that you can do this on your own. Nine months from now, you're going to have a child. Just watch and see what I'll do. Sometimes when we're waiting on the Lord, we might stop and think about Genesis 18. Where God reminded us in such an incredible and personal way of what it's like. For him to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Sometimes when we wait, God is able to show his power. So that's with Sarah. Now let, let's look at what uh, God, how God showed his grace with Abraham. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. 
that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken unto him. What a glorious effect then God's relationship with Abraham had had on Abraham. He was leading his family, the Lord said. I know him. I know that he's leading his family. I know that he is teaching his family my statutes. It was just in chapter 17 that he had required circumcision as a sign of the covenant, not only for Abraham, but for all the males in his household. And Abraham had been obedient to do that. And God then was able now at this point in time to say, I know Abraham and I have known him. I have a relationship with him. And the relationship then that I have with Abraham has made it so that he can lead his family and teach them in the ways of righteousness and justice so that they might be blessed. You see, this morning, God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. God longs to bless us. The question for us is, are we blessable? Are we blessable? Can He bless what we are? God longs to bless us. And there was, it was the relationship then that God had with Abraham that was making him blessable. Abram then was able to minister to his own family. And listen, guys, that's where it always starts. God had called Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, but it started with his own household and his own family. That's God's plan because the fact is, guys, if we can't make it work at home, then it don't work for us anywhere. That's why in the New Testament, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, that if a man could not rule over his own household, then he was not fit to be a pastor of the church of God. Because if you can't make it work at home, how then can you lead a whole congregation of people? It has to be working at home. And that's exactly what God says to Abraham. Abraham is going to be a great nation, a whole nation of people. And yet he is making it work at home so that I can bring all this to pass. What a great passage. That's God's grace at work. That's the other thing for us to notice in this passage, men. If you are making it work at home, don't get the big head about it because God's grace is simply working in your life. He has a plan for you, and his plan is for you as the spiritual leader of, of your home. But listen, you can no more lead the home apart from the grace of God than I can lead a church apart from the grace of God. Anything that we do that is good and godly is done because of God's grace in our life. And so we see God's grace then in Abraham's life because he's making Abraham be the man that he wants him to be at home so he can bless him and do all these other things with him. He didn't stop there. Verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. The two angelic companions who had been there were on their way to Sodom. But there's Abraham. Abraham and the Lord tearing behind. Abraham knew full well what they were going to find in Sodom. 
Now, a lot of the language in this passage is made so that we can understand it. We know that the omnipotent God didn't need to go down to Sodom and, and check it out to see how things were. He's saying these things for Abram's sake and for our sake. God, Abraham already knew God was on his way somewhere else when he came by for a visit. He had business with Sarah. That was the first item of agenda. But after that, he knew that he was headed somewhere else. He just didn't know where. And where they were going was Sodom. The outcry against that city was great. Can't explain all of that to you this morning. But I do know historically what happened. And I don't want to preach too much of that because that's going to happen in a few weeks. We'll see it as we go on in our series. For this morning. So understand that God was proposing judgment against that city. And he puts Abraham then in a situation where Abraham can intercede for him. This is not the only time that God has moved in judgment. In fact, here we are in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. And already we had the story of the flood that wiped out all of the population of the planet. Except for Noah and his family who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And now here's another time when God is moving in judgment. Now these things are not unknown to us. We, we know uh, there's all kinds of places that uh, have perished. And there's been uh, cataclysmic things that happened. Some we know about, some we know. We don't know about. We know about Pompeii for example. A city that was destroyed by volcanic eruption and preserved even uh, for centuries by the ash and archaeological digs still going on in Pompeii. We know uh, how a whole city was wiped out. Uh, some of you remember uh, the Mount St. Helens eruption and you remember Harry Truman and others who, who perished in God. We, we saw that in modern history. If you ever go down uh, just a little bit south of here, uh, yeah, that way, southwest uh, a little bit, you'll go to a place we call Toltec. And you'll learn there about the mound builders, uh, uh, the people uh, that we call the, the, the plum bio people. We have no idea who they were. We know they populated that place from about 600 to about 1,000. And we just speculate about why they built them. What happened to those people? Nobody knows. They were there for a while. Then they're gone. What happened? We don't know. You see, the pages of history are, are, are littered with examples of, of people who, who died, whether it be by plague, whether they were wiped out by an enemy invasion, whether it was a volcanic eruption, whether something happened. I mean, these kind of things happen with terrible regularity. What's different about this story? What was about to happen to the five cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, only two of those, was going to happen under the judgment of God. But before God moved in judgment, you get this this morning, this is the whole point of what God was, how God was showing grace in Abraham's life. You see, before he moved in judgment, he has this conversation with Abraham where the whole place was given a chance to escape the judgment 
the whole place because of the intercession of one man, Abraham. God's put him in that position. Verse 23, Abraham came near. Came near to who? Came near to the Lord and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Be it far from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And God agreed. In Abraham's intercession, God agreed. I will not destroy the city if there's 50 righteous people. And then Abraham said, but Lord, what if it's 45? I'll spare it for 45, God said. 40, 30, 20, 10. God dropped the number, dropped it, dropped it, dropped it to 10. I will not spare, I will not destroy, I'll spare the whole city if only 10 righteous people were there. Do you see the incredible opportunity? That's what I want us to focus on this morning. The incredible opportunity then that God gave to Abraham to intercede on behalf of the whole nation, to stand before the Lord, to cry out and plead with Him for mercy. Mercy that was granted. It's a stark contrast to what God said in Ezekiel chapter 22 where the Lord is speaking here. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none, no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were under a death sentence. The executors of God's wrath were already on their way. Here was Abram and the Lord as Abraham interceded for the cities and God agreeing to stay their execution if only ten righteous people could be found. And we say, what an amazing story. And yes, it is amazing. But let's not forget that we stand every day in the midst of a world that is every bit under the condemnation of the judgment of God as much as Sodom and Gomorrah was. Even more so. Sodom and Gomorrah were going to die physically. And as bad as it is to die physically, it is infinitely worse to die spiritually because if that person in their, in their death is not right with God, they face an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Jesus said it in John chapter 3, Whosoever believeth is not condemned, but whosoever believeth not is condemned already because they have not believed on the name of the everlasting Son of God. This week you'll go to work with people 
who are under the judgment of God, facing an eternity without Him, and they don't know it. They don't have a clue. You'll go to school with people, sit in class with people who are under the judgment of God. They don't know. You think God may have spoken it to them. Certainly He has revealed His truth to the whole world. But God came to Abraham and revealed what He was about to do. Let's not forget, folk, that God has come to you and me and revealed what He is about to do to the world. You ever read the book of Revelation? God revealed that to His people. And so, while we have received God's grace, and what a wonderful thing that is, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story that God is working in our life, and God is changing us, and God is enabling us then to be the husbands and the wives and the mamas and the daddies that He wants us to be so we can be blessed. And we'll shout hallelujah with that, but let's understand, God has also showed us what He is going to do to this world. He is showing us what is going to happen to people who die without Christ, and He's given us the message that will save them. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus and live. Never, ever is there a better time of the year to witness a Jesus Christ than Easter week. Oh my. Let's make sure we use this opportunity and use it well. The inhabitants of Sodom did not know what was coming. Abram did. And he interceded. On their behalf. This whole story is written out in such a way that we can see God's grace at work in Sarah, God's grace at work in Abraham. But then, so we can also see God's grace at work in our life. Aren't you glad Jesus Christ has changed you this morning? Aren't you glad? That he is making you a person who he can bless. Let's share that message with others. Stand together, please.